Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We continue this series that we began last week. It's a six-week study out of the Psalms, not just any psalm. I'll get into that in just a minute. The series is called Can We Talk? And um, I want to start today by talking about a great children's book author. Um, you know, there are these books that are out, they've been out for a while now, and they're called the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Some of you may have read those to your kids when, when they were little and growing up. They're great books. They were written by a guy named C.S. Lewis. Uh, in addition to writing children's books, C.S. Lewis was really considered one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century. And he was a professor of literature at Oxford University in England, and after that he went on to accept the chair of the Department of Medieval History and Renaissance at Cambridge University, just a couple of, you know, schools I heard about over in England, you know, nothing fancy. He was also an atheist, and there came a point where he very publicly renounced his atheism, and he went a step further and he embraced Christianity. He, he pledged his allegiance to Christ and became a Jesus follower, he would go on to write uh, classic books, books that I, I think probably most pastors have these in their library. Um, I can't imagine a pastor not having some of these books in their library, but one of the books was Mere Christianity. Great book. Another book was The, the Problem of Pain, which was written during World War II when London was being bombed. And a great little book that I would highly recommend to you, a book called The Screwtape Letters. And The Screwtape Letters is a, a, a book about a, a, it's a fictional book about a, a, a senior demon who is instructing a junior demon how to disrupt the life and how to tempt this person to whom he's been assigned. So it's a great book. I think that book would change the way you pray. I think that book would change the way you live. I would highly recommend that book to you if you're Looking for something to read, that's a, that's, a, that's a classic. That's a great little book. Um, he was a bachelor for most of his life. In his mid to late 50s, he met this woman. Her name was Joy Davidson. She was an American writer. And they met when Lewis was 56 years old. At 58, C.S. Lewis and Joy Davidson were married, and four years later, she died of cancer. He was devastated. Shattered. He wrote a book called A Grief Observed. And that book, while not very big, he, he writes about what he experienced as he went through the grief of losing Miss Joy. And it's not really a manual on grief, like four steps to get through grief. It's really not like that. It's more like looking into his journal entries. You, you get these glimpses into what he was going through and what he was thinking and and, you know, there's times when he feels lost and he didn't know what to do and he's crying out in his pain. And that's what you get in this book, A Grief Observed. The opening line of the book starts like this. No one ever told me grief felt so like fear. I am not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the same yawning. I keep on swallowing. Cancer and cancer, and cancer, my mother, my father, my wife. I wonder who's next in line. I not only live each endless day in grief, but I live each day thinking about living each day 
in grief. And then this haunting question, meanwhile, where is God? Where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other hope is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, then the sound of bolting and double bolting from the inside. After that, silence. Wow. I mean, that is, that is next level honesty. This is the guy who wrote Mere Christianity. This is the person who so energetically voiced the importance of coming to grips with the existence of God. And he went through a stretch where he experienced the intense absence of that God. You, you can be deeply devoted as a Christian. You can be a deeply dedicated Christian and you can still go through a stretch of time where you feel lost and God feels far. It's possible to be a, a deeply committed believer and yet something happens when you just feel body slammed by life and at least for a period of time you feel lost and God feels far. Meanwhile, the question, where is God? C.S. Lewis is not the only one to voice these sentiments. In Psalm 42, we read these words. Why have you forgotten me? The songwriter in the psalm is praying, God, why have you forgotten me? They feel lost and God feels far. We talked about this last week. This is a particular kind of psalm that theologians have categorized as a lament. It's what they call these. It's a lament. And for our working purposes here, it's just it's, it, the definition that we would use is it's, it's that point where you come to where you say to God, things are not okay, and we need to talk. You ever felt that way with God? You ever felt a distance? You ever felt lost? You ever felt like, hey, God, I need to have a conversation with you. Now, that is not the textbook definition of lament. That's not the one, if you go to Merriam-Webster and look it up, that's not what you would find. But that's often how we feel. It's a way of talking to God when all is not well and things are not okay. God, we need to talk. About one-third of the 150 psalms that we have in our scripture fall into this category of lament. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. Last week, we looked at Psalm 13. He said, will you forget me forever? Then in Psalm 10, we're going to look at this next week. Why do you hide when I am in trouble? And then today's passage, Psalm 42. Why have you forgotten me? Lament. Laments that we find in the book of Psalms coach us what to do with ourselves and how to be honest with ourselves and honest with God when things are not good, when things are not going the way we expected them to go or anticipated that they would go. It does not serve us very well to sugarcoat the suffering and to pretend as if everything is okay and I'm really not in pain. It's not okay to pretend that when, it's, when you're not okay. And in our psalm today, Psalm 42, there are a couple of things going on. Our psalm writer has been devastated. This isn't little trouble. This isn't like, hey, I can't find my car keys. 
you know, cars on the blank, the, the ice maker in the fridge is, you know, on the blank or whatever. It's not that kind of thing. It's you're losing your career or your reputation or your health. You're losing a child or you're losing a marriage. This person is traveling through deep, deep waters. But there's something else going on as well, and it's as if their life has been capsized. They're wanting this feeling that, that God was really, really close, that, 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 but that wasn't their existence. That's not what they got. It felt like God was a thousand miles away. I felt that. Likely you have felt that. It's the dual assault that something ugly and awful is happening and God doesn't seem close. And the question of the psalmist in 42 is an important question. The question that we get to look at today in these 11 verses that make up Psalm 42 are simply how in the world do you cling to God and how do you cling to faith when you feel lost and God feels far? People quit the faith in this space. They walk away. They never speak God's name again. They never go to church. Not everyone makes it through this dark tunnel with their faith intact. Not everybody comes out on the other side spiritually alive. For some of you right now, everything is up and to the right. You've come in here, life is good, kids are good, job is good, marriage is good, health is good, finances are good, everything's good. You're just rejoicing upon rejoicing, and we rejoice with you. Your brothers and sisters are happy for you. I am. I want, I want the best for you. And if you've come in here today and everything is up and to the right, I'm s- stoked for you. I really, truly am. That's what I want for you. Others of you have walked in here this morning and this is for you. It's not going good. The news has not been great. The rest of you who have it all going great right now, I just would tell you, tuck this away because your hour may come when you feel lost and God feels far. So what I want to do today is I just want to read this psalm and then I want to extract four healthy responses for us and see what we can glean from it. I want to begin by just putting you in a frame of mind. We're going to read Psalm 42, and as we do, I want to put your mind in a wilderness. I want you to uh, see this picture, and I just want you to see the barrenness. I want you to feel that. I want you to, that's, that's kind of our context this morning. The songwriter is going to begin, and he will speak of this intense thirst. His soul is parched. He is spiritually dry. He is craving the presence of God in his life, and he's not feeling it. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? God doesn't feel close. God feels really far away. Imagine a deer being stalked and hunted and he's on the run, and the hunter is after him, and, and, and he, he can't stop to drink. He can't get to his normal water source, and he is becoming dehydrated, and he's getting weak, and it's not going to be able to go a whole lot longer before he just collapses because of the absence of water. That is the image that this guy 
latches on to. He is spiritually dry. His soul is parched. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? My tears have been my food day and night. We don't know really what precipitated this for this psalm writer. Whatever it was, you get the impression that this guy's just on the verge of tears at all times. You ever been there? Where, where you just, you know, you're not crying, but you're just kind of walking through your day and your, your eyes are watering all day. You're just, you're that far from just breaking down into tears because it, it, it's, it's heavy. And God just seems really, really far away. He says, day and night, tears have been my food day and night. It's like sadness is stalking him throughout the day. It's haunting him at night. He's probably not sleeping well. That last part of that verse, my tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? This isn't a friend. This is someone taunting him. This is people who enjoy seeing him hurt. Hey, God boy, where's your God now? Here's the challenge. It's not just that God feels far away. He looks far away to the people who are on the outside looking in, and there's an additional sting to that. When you're on the outside and you're looking in and you're wondering where God went, he talks about his thirst, he talks about his tears, now he talks about his memories. Life hasn't always been like this. It hasn't always been an absence of God like this. It hasn't always felt this dark. He goes back into his memory. He starts to recall those, those times when God felt so real and so close and so present. Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. I remember when I would be on the way to the tabernacle and I would sing these songs to God. I was so excited to go and worship. And in that moment, God wasn't absent. He was real. He was present. He was near. Now, I don't think he's just nostalgic for the good old days. I think he's reaching back. I think he's, he's saying it, it hasn't always been like this. I, I need to remember when it, when it wasn't like this. I need to remember when it was better. And then there's a shift, and the, the psalmist begins to talk to himself and, and start to say basically, dude, get it together. Come on, get yourself together. He starts asking questions. He kind of starts to preach to himself. Verse 5, why my soul... Are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? In other words, hey man, what's up with you? What's wrong with you? Come on. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He is getting after himself. You put your hope in God. This will not be the end of your faith. This is not where it all comes to an end. I know that we will come out on the other side. Come on, man. Key word in that verse there is, I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him. I think if we could dial in on this guy right about now, I think what you'd hear him say is, 
yeah, I'm not feeling too crazy right now. I will one day. But right now, not really feeling it. This is where the song should end, but it doesn't. This is really just the first half. In the second half, all these themes loop back again. It's like, he, it's like ping pong in his heart, where he goes from despair to hope, back to despair, back to hope. You ever been to that place? You ever been to that place where one minute you, you, you've got some hope and the next minute you have no hope? It, it just feels dark and empty, lost, vacant, void, God nowhere to be found. He's going to loop back. He has some specific memories. Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. He says, I will remember you. There seems to be a specific geographical place that this guy has in mind. He mentions Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is the, the highest mountain in Israel. It is snow-capped. There is water that makes its way down this massive mountain. He mentions the Jordan River. The headwaters of the Jordan River are right there at the base of Mount Hermon. This writer is remembering a place. Some theologians, some people think that he's remembering this place. Doesn't that look beautiful? That's just one of those pictures that you know that, that the picture does not do that justice. That if you were there, you know that's 10 times more beautiful than what that picture tells you that it is. This is in the northern part of Israel. This is at a place they think that this writer may have had in mind. This is a place called Bonius in northern, in northern Israel. And what I want to do is I want you, as you look at that picture, I want to encourage you in the use, I want to coach you in how to use your sanctified imaginator. You're like, my what? I didn't know I had one of those. You do. You do. God gave you one. I had a professor in college that taught us to use our sanctified imaginators. And so I want you to kind of look at that picture and I want you to imagine the sound of that water rushing off the side of that mountain, crashing into that pool. I want you to hear that sound. You've been, you've been to, Gat, to Gatlinburg or the Smokies or maybe you've gone out west to one of the, the big parks and seen something like this. You know what that sounds like. Hear that sound. Hear the power of that water crashing into that pool. Get the sense of, of the, the, the mist that would come up that's created by all that that might come to rest on the hairs on your arm. Close your eyes and smell what it would smell like to be in that place, just beautiful aroma, foliage around, maybe some flowers. You can hear birds in the distance. You hear that water crashing in, and you feel the cool air from the water on your skin. See, when you read Scripture, you should get out your sanctified imaginator and use it. He starts talking about his thirst, about his spiritual dryness, his soul is parched, and now he's remembering back to a time and a place, and he's saying, it hasn't always been that way. There was a time when you were real, you were near, there was a closeness, there was a presence. It's as if that memory is a specific location for him. But as he's remembering this image of water and this tumbling water off the mountain into the pool, 
that image of water starts to give way to a more troubling image of water and he gets carried off into a new direction. It's like he's being caught in a storm and you're just being pounded by wave after wave after wave. Verse seven, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls and now it changes. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. You ever felt like that in life where it just feels like water is just rushing over you and you can't even catch your breath? So as I try to come back to this thought and this feeling of this peaceful stream and this water and, and the coolness of the stream, and the more I think about that, the more I just get caught up into this riptide where I'm being taken out into the sea, taken in a direction I don't want to go. I'm pounded by wave after wave. You can, you can feel the, the ping pong happening in his heart from despair to hope and back to despair and back to hope. The description wave after wave. I know that's what some of you have felt in your life. I talked to you. I know what you've been through. And some of you are going through it right now, and it's not a thing. It is thing after thing after thing. And you're like, Brett, when does this stop? When does this go away? When do I get peace back? When is it going to be normal again? And I think it's highly possible. If somebody walked in here, they would say, Brett, that's me. I feel lost, and God feels far. This is a, there is a credible testimony that you will hear over time, and the credible testimony sounds something like this. Well, you know, we had this thing, we were going through this, we couldn't really make sense of it, it was just so heavy, so dark, we got tired of carrying it on our own, so we just brought it back to Jesus, and we gave it to God, and, and since we've done that, we now have peace, and now we have trust, and it's just, we've never looked back after that. And you know what? I think that happens. I think, that, I think that's a real thing. I think that happens. I've done that. Haven't you? Where you've had something heavy, you've taken it to God. God, take this from me. I'm, I can't carry this. And God says, I will take that from you. And, and it, maybe the problem doesn't go away, but you get a new perspective or something happens, and you have a peace, and you have a trust, and you're like, okay, th this is good. God's with me. I can do this. But that is not Psalm 42. That's not what's going on here. It's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Not just within the psalm, but within one sentence of the psalm. He talks about his thirst, his, his tears, his memories. Now he's going to talk about his conviction. Look at verse 9. You're going to see this all in one sentence. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Within one sentence. You ask this guy, who is God to you? Well, he's my stability. He's my rock. He's my fortress. Fortress. He's my security. And then he's, I will say to my rock, why have you forgotten me? He's even conflicted within the sentence. There seems to be a tug of war between what he knows is true. He's heard those verses maybe out of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. God is near to the brokenhearted. I think he would say, yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling that right now. I know it. I know it. I know that's what the Bible says. I know, I know that's who God is, but I'm not really feeling that. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? You get to the last verse, verse 11, and verse 11 really just repeats verse 5. He's talking to himself again. 
with why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Song over, fade to black. This story in Psalm 42 does not resolve. You know, there's certain psalms that we read, and it starts out really bad, and by the end, it's happy. There's something good. He's gotten some resolution. There's, a, there's a, you know, there's hope. You, you get to see that he moved through these things, but at the end, it was good. There's other psalms that start out really sad, and they move through, and they're full of confusion. Um, this one, there's no resolution. So I want to make some real quick observations, then we'll get to the responses. And these observations, I'm going to do them one, two, three, four. They're really quick. Here's the first one. This guy is actually thinking these things, okay? These, these are the thoughts on his mind. He wrote them down. And then he put them to verse. He turns them into art. He, he, he's, he's wanting other, he wants to share this with other people. He wants them to, to see if they have a shared experience. He's, he's written it down. There's, there's not a, doesn't, it's not just an effort to spew or to rant. He, he's trying to articulate some confused emotions to some other people. And then the, the last thing I would observe there is um, he preserves this for us in our words so that we can have it, so that we can see, hey, you know what? There was some dude a long time ago that, that felt just exactly the way I do today. This is not a new feeling. So that in our most confused moments, we would know that we are not alone. We're not the only ones who go through this. You go back to C.S. Lewis, 58 years old, and you want to say, you know what, in your grief and in your upheaval, you are not alone. There have been others who have felt the way you feel now. I think God wanted us to have a, an example of how we can come to him when we feel lost and God feels far and we have no idea how to talk, how to pray, how to move. We're just lost. This guy is confused and depressed. And you're coming and you're like, okay, Brett, resolve this thing, man, come on. And I'm like, no, it's, he's confused. it ends with him being confused. Thank you very much, we'll see you next week. <laughs> like, Brett, come on. Give me something. What, what do we do with that? Four responses. These will go quick. Okay, Brett, what do I do? And, and here's why this is really important, because people quit the faith all the time because of this stuff. Do you understand that? They're, they're, they're following Jesus, they call themselves a Christ follower, and then something happens and God feels distant, and they can't resolve it, and so their, their answer is, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to walk away. And times get so tough for them that they leave and they never come back. They become cynics. They become disillusioned, or they go do something really drastic and it messes up their life in an unbelievable way. If I'm going to go through a dark tunnel and come out on the other side with my faith intact, how do I do that? How do I cling to God when I feel lost and he feels far? Four responses. Number one, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Be brutally honest. This guy is not blowing sunshine up anybody's skirt. He's telling the truth. He's not acting like it's okay when it's not okay. 
we begin being honest with God when we are honest with ourselves. It's okay to not be okay. And this guy's not okay. And he's honest, and he tells the truth about what actually is going on. Tell the truth to God, tell the truth to yourself, and I would suggest that you tell the truth to someone, a friend of yours, who has a strong spiritual pulse. Now, hear me now, and make sure that you hear this. Tell a person or two. Don't tell everybody. Do not tell Facebook. Have you seen this post? Have you seen the person who's far from God and they go on Facebook to announce to the whole world and all the people who aren't Jesus followers, hey, God's letting me down. He's nowhere to be found. Where is he? I feel lost. He feels far and I'm mad at God. And Well, that's a ringing endorsement for Christianity and for God. See, I started talking about Facebook and I got completely, I just, it's just, Tell somebody with a strong spiritual pulse. Here's the thing I want to tell you. They're not probably going to be able to fix this with a Bible verse, okay? They're not going to reach out and, you know, hand you a Bible verse and make it all go away and make it feel better. They're probably not going to be able to help at all. I think one of the things that's most frustrating for me as a pastor is I'm oriented to help, and there's times that I get told things, there's nothing I can do. I hear it, oh, it's awful news. Well, how can I help? Well, Brett, there's really nothing you can do. But sometimes just telling somebody else and, and having them walk with you through it, sometimes that's, that's enough. Sometimes that's really, really helpful. I want to take this moment to suggest that you sign up for a small group. We're kicking those off in a couple of weeks. Now is the time to sign up. We have people all the time asking us about small groups. This is the time you sign up. There's a list on the Welcome Center. You can go put your name on it. What will happen in small group is you're going to get, you think, well, I don't want to go in there with a bunch of people I don't know. The thing is, it doesn't take long. You spend just a little bit of time with those folks. You get to know them. A bond forms. I've seen it. I've been a part of it. A bond forms. You get to know them. You get to know what's going on in their life. You, get to, you, you understand the things that they're carrying, and they know what you're carrying. And there's usually in small group, usually at some point there's a place where, you know, hey, is there anything that we can pray for for you? And some people are like, no, everything's good for me. And then some people are like, no, this, is, this thing with my daughter's going on. It's, it's really heavy for me, and I, just, I, got, I need you guys to know so that you can pray. You need to be able to do that. So get involved in a small group. It's just healthy and honest. To, it's, it's, it's healthy to tell the truth and be honest. Second thing is this, visit the past. This comes right out of the psalm. There are two times in this, in this psalm, verse 4 and verse 7, where he says, I remember being on my way to the tabernacle. I remember that day by the waterfall up north and the sound and the scent and the coolness and the, 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 the aroma. I remember all that. And the water plunging into the pool, and I was there, and God, you were there, and it was awesome. Visit the past. Don't live in the past. But sometimes you've got to visit the past. This darkness and this distance of God may feel very, very real, but there were also other experiences too. There were times when you felt really, really close to God. You weren't making that up. That was real too. So visit that. Get in touch with that. Go back and remember, oh man, there was a time 
I was really close to God. I know it's possible. I, I know he's not abandoned me. Let me just, this is an old preacher's thing. I've seen this on, on plaques and things, but it really is pretty good. If God feels distant from you, guess who moved? God hasn't moved. Something's gone away, gone on, and you've been carried away. If you look up and you're lost and God feels far, that's not God moving away from you. Response number three, when you feel lost and God feels near, talk to yourself. Now, some of you are world-class Olympian athletes when it comes to this, right? So much so that I worry about you. Talking to yourself. The songwriter does this twice. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Talk to yourself. This is important because we spend way too much time listening to ourselves. Now, I don't know that I'm going to say this the right way or communicate this well, but I'm going to try. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, he was a British preacher. He wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And he comments on this Psalm 42, verse 5 that we've looked at this morning And in it, he said, we spend too much time listening to ourselves and too little time talking to ourselves. You say, Brett, what what does he mean? It's it's that time when you wake up at 4.15 in the morning and you're thinking about this thing and you're thinking to yourself, you know, if you just dealt with this three years ago when you should have dealt with this, you wouldn't still be dealing with this now. And can you imagine how much worse this is gonna get before it gets better? And so from 4.15 to 5.15, that's what you do. You lay there and you imagine how much worse it's gonna get, right? And you just listen to yourself. And that voice just plays and plays. Instead of listening to yourself, talk to yourself. Preach to yourself. The psalmist says, you put your hope in God. You you trust in God. You go back to that time. You know what it looks like. You will come through this. You will come out with a better faith. You will come out on the other side. You will come out someone who wants to praise. The fourth response, remember what you believe. We go back to that verse 9, even though the language is confusing because on one side he's really confident and on the other side of that sentence he's like god you've forgotten me i say to god my rock it sounds so confident why have you forgotten me he's confused he's bewildered he's a little bit lost but he starts with i know what i believe and i believe that you are my safety you are my security you are my stability remember what you believe There are times that you just have to go back to that place in your head where you remember God saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. God said that, and he said that to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Even though right now you may feel lost and you may feel forsaken by God, God has not left you. The cross speaks to us about God. The empty tomb speaks to us. Both the cross and the empty tomb have spoken. The cross speaks to us about the compassion and the love of God, a love that we cannot even fathom. God so loved the world that he gave his own son. Wow. Wow. That just speaks to the tenderness and the love and the affection of God for us. I love this passage out of Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, him being Jesus, graciously give us all things? The cross has spoken. 
but the empty tomb has spoken. The resurrected Jesus predicts your coming resurrection. See, this is one of the things I know. As bad as it can get in this life, it's never far from me that Jesus has predicted that I will be resurrected. I will one day be resurrected and I will spend an eternity with God. I have that to look forward to. You do too. A day will come when we will get to hear God say, Behold, I am making everything new. Look how good this is. The cross has spoken. The empty tomb has spoken. Remember that day? We, we find this in John 7. Jesus is in, the tab, is in the temple. And there are people everywhere. I want you to get this picture. Put on your sanctified imaginator. People everywhere, noises, you know, they're, they're, they're pulling um, animals behind them, goats and, and, and lambs and things. So you, it, you get the smells from that. You get the, the, the sounds. You get people talking. They're, they're on their way to do certain things. They're busy. They're in a hurry. They're, you know, their spouse and, and two spouses that are, she probably didn't say much because she wasn't allowed, but he was probably yelling at her, you know, like, come on. All this chaos, all this noise. And in the middle of that, Jesus this is what we read in John 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, which means it was packed, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. Now, can you imagine Jesus among all these people, just in the middle of all these people, and, he's, and out of nowhere, he yells this. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me to drink. It's an invitation. It's not just a one-time invitation. It is an invitation to come again and again and again, hour after hour, minute after minute, sometimes second after second if you need it. Come to me and drink. This isn't an invitation to religion. This isn't an invitation to church. This is an invitation to the Savior. Come to me and drink. Powerful words. If you come to a stretch in your life where you just feel parched and your soul is dry and empty, come to me. Come to me. Come to me and drink. You ever come into a time when you feel lost and God feels far? There are a ton of unhealthy things that you can do. One of the things you can do is you can pretend like everything is okay when it's not. People do that. They just soldier on. They just put the face on and they keep on going. You can do that. It's not really healthy, but you can do that. Some people attempt to numb it with some substance and just, you know, make the pain go away or try to forget or put themselves into such a stupor that they don't even, they're, they're, they're not even really cognizant of what's going on around them you can do that some people do you can mentally just check out some people do that you can become a skeptic and a cynic i love psalm 42 because it's just honest and it's so healthy it coaches us how to move how how to move when we're paralyzed by doubt and and when we get caught up and plagued by defeat psalm 42 coaches us to tell the truth to visit the past, to talk to yourself, to remember what you believe. 
Listen, I offer no guarantees this morning. There's not a money-back guarantee that comes with this sermon that you're going to walk out of here and all your problems are fixed because you heard this sermon on Psalm 42. I know better. In fact, it's probably, you know, if you've walked in here with something that's hard, you're probably going to walk out of here and it's still going to be hard. But I do believe this is helpful and hopeful and healthy and honest. And it gives us a way to cling to God and wait for that day when you feel found and God feels near. And that's going to happen. I say this all the time to you, but it really is the truth. The sun will shine again. Until that day when the sun shines again, and it will, when you come out of the tunnel on the other side and you feel found and God feels near, you just come to Christ. He says, come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. For heaven's sake, don't leave the faith. Don't walk away. Don't become a cynic. Run to the cross. Just run to the cross. We're going to have people down front to pray with you at the end of the service if that's something that you'd like to take advantage of. Um, you may be, have been thinking about giving your life to Christ. You can, we'll, we'll pick up on that if you come down front. We'll take care of that. Just know that we love you. Know that God cares deeply for you, loves you. He's going to see you through. Let's pray together. Father, we have all been in that space where something has happened and we've been carried away and we feel lost and you feel far. It's a horrible place to be. It's scary. We get angry. We, we tend to do things that, that just make the problem worse oftentimes. We get confused. And Lord, there are some people that walked in here this morning and that, that what I've described is exactly where they are. They feel lost and you feel far away. And, and I, we're not blaming you. You're sovereign you're wise, you know exactly what we need, you do not leave us. But somehow we've looked up and we're not close to you. And for those people, Father, I pray that they do leave here with a little bit more peace and a little bit more understanding that you see them, you have not left them, you have not forsaken them, and the sun is going to shine again. We need to know that. And we're clinging to what shreds of you we can find. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.